for you and I being socially distanced. But, it, <laughs> you know, that song is, again, one of my favorites. But there's a part in the middle where he goes, like a summer afternoon. I always want to do that. In fact, I do. I think Anna and I were sitting together one time, and I'm going, okay, we're going high this time. We're going high. And my voice cracks. I mean, it's just 
Could you do that for me one more time? No, you can't. I've got your mic. <laughs> it's like, it reminds me, what it reminds me of is the Dr. Pepper guy. Sweetness. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to Carpenter's. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. Some of you in the room, a lot of you online. What weird days these are. But man, it's so good to see new people come in every week. And uh, we're for, for those of you who don't know, what we're doing to keep social distancing is we're rotating our Bible study classes through. Uh, and there's five, four or five or six each week, and we, we're on a three-week rotation, and we encourage you to watch online when you're not able to be here, and then come in with your group, and then often the groups meet, and, and uh, if, you are, uh, if you are part of Carpenter's Way family, and you don't have a Bible study, if you'll just email me, we'll get you in. We, we want you to be a part of our, our, we want you to be here, and I was really hopeful a couple of weeks ago, like we all were, that maybe things were easing up a little bit, but they, man, I think, I think Julie was telling me that 8,500 yesterday. 82, 8,500 new cases. So be praying for our country. Be praying for our world. This is a, this is a worldwide thing, and, and uh, be wise and all. But uh, anyway, we're still able to worship, and we're still able to celebrate God. You know, I, was, uh, I, I wrote on Facebook this morning something I was thinking about. Yesterday, we as a nation celebrated independence because men and women of, of great valor and honor fought to make us free, uh, to, to give us independence uh, from uh, England, and uh, and we still have to fight for that. That's why we have an election coming up. We still need to stand up for those freedoms that uh, that we take for granted so often, and and uh, we have an opportunity coming up in November again to make sure that we get the people in office that represent the values that we have. And I want to encourage you again to uh, to be registered if you're not in vote. But it struck me that today we're celebrating uh, real independence of our soul from the consequence of sin. Uh, that was purchased by Jesus on the cross, and we don't have to do anything to maintain that. Uh, that was uh, that work was completely done by Jesus on the cross. And if you don't know the freedom there is in Christ from from the consequences of your sin, meet Him today. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and that's what we celebrate. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we study the scriptures, and we're awfully glad that you could join us this morning, so stick with us. I do want to remind you, if you're watching on Facebook, it's really inconsistent, and so if it starts getting weird, if you'll jump over to our webpage, cwbc.org, uh, that's way, you can watch us live, and that's way more uh, uh, dependable. So anyway, thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks, you guys, for being in this room. Thank you for wearing your masks as you came in. We appreciate it. I know some of you aren't big fans of that. None of us are, but we appreciate it. Next week, um, uh, next week's groups are going to be uh, John Rowan's class, Connie Rhodes' flock, the college group, Sabrina and Kirby Collins, uh, the Caleb class, Pete Smart and Donna Smart's class, and then the shift class. So uh, that's Chad and uh, Jared Pig. So that'll be next week uh, in-house, and, uh, and of course we'll be online and we'll be continuing our study of Jesus. We're excited today because we're going to have a very good preacher with us this morning. I'm not going to be sharing Zach Wilkie, uh, son of me, and my lovely wife. Sorry. Yeah, that was a team effort. Uh, but Zach will be preaching this morning. Zach is a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and Jeff Bonin's discipleship program. Uh, he has, uh, in, at Carpenter's Way, in the student ministry and and has interned with us for many years, and we're excited to have him open the word today. Zach, as you know, once graduating Moody in his final time there, traveled and did illusion. He will not be doing any this morning, will you? No, no magic this morning? Just regular Bible. Okay. Sorry about that, those of you who are disappointed. But uh, anyway, we're excited to have Zach share the word with us this morning. Um, 
And, um, oh, I did want to tell you one other thing. And I, if, if you're on Facebook, you're getting a lot of information from the church. If you're not, uh, I try to bring you up to speed on Sundays. Man, we had the opportunity this last week to uh, feed a lot, and I can't give you a number right now, but, a, but a many, many pastors in Uganda who live beyond bridges and roads, as Pastor Paul says, uh, we were able to send extra money. Because we're not able to do our mission trips this year, our short-term mission trips, uh, we're, the elders and the uh, mission investment team got together and we talked a lot about it, and we're going to be giving those dollars that we normally would spend to our mission work globally. And they're working on uh, helping some of our brothers and sisters on the Amazon. Um, and that, that'll be reported to you. You're going to see a video in the next week, I think, uh, that is going to talk about the specific amounts of money and what, where we're giving and how it's working. But we've been able to feed people in India already and in the Amazon, and, and God is using that. So I just want to remind you that as you're away, please keep giving faithfully. You have given unbelievably over the past few months while we've been closed down. And that goes against everything you would imagine to happen. But your giving has been faithful, and it has allowed us to, to look at these dollars. And, and normally it'd be like, okay, let's not spend them. But because you've been giving so faithfully, we're able to spend them uh, on mission work. And, and thank you for that and uh, for allowing us to. And uh, so enough on that. But we do want to encourage you, if you're Carpenter's Way family, make sure you keep giving. And we will keep giving it away. That's what we do to, for, the, for the purposes of the gospel. Um, so... Um, we're looking forward to us all getting back together and, and, and soon. So let me pray for us. Uh, that does it for the announcements, and uh, then we'll turn it back over to ta Chad and the worship team and then uh, Zach. So, Father, we're thankful that we can gather this morning even by way of Internet uh, to uh, serve you, to worship you, to be reminded that it is well with our souls even if our skin is unnerved. And, uh, Lord Jesus, we pray for our country right now. We thank you that we live in this wonderful land that allows us the freedoms to gather and to preach and to study the scriptures uh, without hindrance. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for yesterday where we celebrated men and women who gave their lives so that we could eat lots of hot dogs and hamburgers and, uh, and express ourselves. Um, but now, Lord Jesus, may we turn our eyes to our eternal independence, that which was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for uh, just the fact that we can gather in lots of different places today to celebrate you and to worship you. We pray for Zach as he opens the word that you would challenge our thinking and you would make us more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you're in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, man, you're more than welcome. If you're watching online, uh, we encourage you to, to participate right there in your living room, back porch, lake, wherever you're at. Uh, don't just be a spectator. Oh, I heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am.
you are a good father, Lord. You're not this angry God that's just up in heaven waiting for us to mess up and call us out and beat us over the head, Lord, that you are a good father. And Lord, that just as my girls, they go to bed at night, they wake up in the morning, they they go throughout their day, they don't worry about what's going to happen, Lord, because they have a father, because they have a, a mother who takes care of them. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to rest in that this morning. God, that you would help us to rest in the fact, Lord, that we don't know what tomorrow holds, we don't know what the next week holds, Lord, but we know that you're good. We know that you're good, and we know that you have plans for us, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would just help us to rest in that and to come to you in that, to come to you because of the cross, because of what has been paid for us, Lord. Redeemed by 
redeeming love before the throne of God and the world. He pulls those with nail-scarred hands into His everlasting
Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him.
Thank you, Jesus Christ. You are my story. You're my everything. You are my glory, my God and my King. You are my rock and you never change.
thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for who we are in you. We ask, Lord, as Zach comes up and opens your word this morning, and God, the words that you have given me, we ask that you'd open our hearts this morning to just be reminded of exactly what our identity is, to be reminded, Lord, that that we're not what other people say we are. We are who you say we are, Lord. And so, God, we ask, Lord, that you would just remind us of that this morning and just help Zach to speak boldly, clearly, and open our hearts to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, good morning, church, and good morning to you guys at home or on your boat or wherever you're at. I see your Facebook post. I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited for this morning. Um, I mean, you guys, you guys probably know that. I, I tend to be a little hyped, but I think it's, it's just going to be a great, a great time this morning. We're going to kind of step out of the study of Jesus Christ that we've been going through with, with Pastor Mark. I've been going through it with you guys remotely, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it as we've looked deeply into the life of Christ and the life of who Christ is, perhaps breaking down stereotypes or Uh, ideas we had about who Christ was, but we're going to be stepping back and looking at, okay, if Christ's work looked like this, then what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us who live in Christ? And so we're going to be looking at that. But first, I do want to just say thank you guys so much for this time. Um, I I love this church, and thank you. I I have seen it um, through social media, and I've seen it here and there, how how well you guys have done in just encouraging one another in this season, loving one another. And, and in some ways, I, I often feel like there's, there's some of you should be up here teaching me. <laughs> and so it's always humbling to be here because you guys are so wonderful. Thank you um, for this privilege. I do want to apologize in advance if this sermon has more rhythm than usual. I watched Ham- Hamilton last night. And so uh, I've kind of got a rhythm a little bit today. And so if there's more rhythm, it's pro- it's just no, it's because I watched Hamilton last night. And it's really good. So <laughs> no, uh, please... As we dive in, I ask that you, you just pray with me and for me as I preach. Nothing here, again, will, will happen outside of the work of God. And so I pray, please pray with me and for me as I preach, even at home. Please just be praying as we go through this sermon and, and that God's will will be taught and God's word will be done. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your text, your scriptures. I pray you just bless our time. Uh, I pray you speak through me. God, remove me from the equation and just... just just fill this, this message with your truth and encourage us, um, convict us, and grow us where you see fit. We love you. It's in your name. Amen. What do LeBron James, the Beatles, and Denzel Washington all have in common? What about Babe Ruth, Stan Lee, and Elon Musk? Or how about Ella Fitzgerald, Mark Twain, or Jimmy Stewart? Do you know? Do you know what they had in common? Can you name anything? They all were, at some level, the greatest in their industry. Or they are the greatest in their industry. They were the top of their game, the best in their field. Now, if I was to ask you what what LeBron James's uh, or or the Beatles' second greatest talent was, or their best hobby, or their best knickknack, would you know that? Or would you know what Babe Ruth believed politically, or maybe what Mark Twain believed about religion? Maybe you would, maybe you won't, depending on how much of a fan you are. But what all these individuals have in common is they all were, were, were so intimately wrapped in their skill set and what the world saw that us as onlookers, when we look at them, really just see their skill set. We just see their, 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 their talent. Uh, we just see Mark Twain's writing. We just see the Beatles' music. We just see LeBron James' basketball skills. Why? Because they are their skill set. I mean, we, we, the reality is we don't really 
really, maybe more nowadays with technology, but we really don't know who these individuals are. We, there are persons, names, hearts, souls behind these skills, but really all we know them for is their skill because their identity, and perhaps intentionally, was so intimately wrapped into their skill that they are just simply the face of a skill, right? Now, they don't tend to compartmentalize their skill set, right? They focus everything on it so that everything about their being is their skill set. They don't say, I want you to, to enjoy my writing or my music on Mondays or Sundays and Wednesdays, and then I want you to enjoy my political perspective on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I'd like for you to maybe listen to my favorite food recipes on Saturdays. They don't do that. No, they say, hey, I want you to listen to my music 24 hours a day. I want you to read my writing 24 hours a day. Why? Because that is who they are. That is who they are. Now, as I was thinking through the text we're looking at today, I was thinking about this concept, and I was thinking, man, we kind of do the complete opposite in the church. We say, man, okay, I'm going to be a, a faithful Christian on Sundays and Wednesdays, but then maybe Mondays and Thursdays will be my political days. That's when I'll post about politics. And then Tuesday and Friday, I'll probably I'll kind of engage in that, that little bit of gluttony because the fourth's coming up. But then Sunday, I'll, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back around. We kind of kind of have this identity shift that happens throughout the week all the time in, in, in the Christian world, in the church. I see it. And, and what we're going to be looking at now is, is how, kind of like these famous individuals, God calls us to just simply be a face of our identity. That everything about our being needs to be like a skill set, perhaps our true identity. And that, that what God says in Scripture is, is when we hide our lives in Christ— our identities are only found in him. When we hide our lives in Christ, our identities are only found in him. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians 3 with me. If you have your phones or iPads or whatever, Colossians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. Mike keeps falling. That's Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let's read it and we'll dive in. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. This passage is really well known. I mean, we've studied it a lot here at Carpenter's Way, being a verse-by-verse church. You, you understand this. You know Paul's writing. Um, you know that Paul wrote this. You, you probably know it was written to the church of Colossae. Perhaps you know that. Um, but maybe you don't understand why he's writing this under the surface. See, he wrote to the church of Colossae for a couple reasons, and one of those was because there was a false teaching sweeping through the region at, a to- at the time. Like a virus, it was just spreading. Everybody was buying into it. This false teaching uh, uh, is something we later term, and we're going to have to put on our seminary hats just for a minute here. This, this false teaching I want to look at for just a minute, because if we can understand why Paul is really speaking these truths, we'll understand what he's getting at. The false teaching is something the church begin, again, begins to coin Gnosticism. Gnosticism, G-N-O-S-T-I-S. I-C-I-S-M if you need to Google it. It starts with a G. Gnosticism is a huge heresy in the church, and I want to look at it really quick because Paul is getting right at the heart of this false teaching, Gnosticism as we call it. And, it, and it's just as present today, and we're going to look at that, and I want, to, I want to look at this real quick. So there's six pillars I'm summarizing into the Gnostic idea that Paul's getting, addressing here. Ready? We're going to move through this quick. First, in the Gnostic teaching, 
just bear with me, seminary class, everything physical is bad, right? So the body is bad. Everything physical is rooted in evil. Everything physical is bad and evil. In Gnostic teaching, everything non-physical, the mind, the soul, the inner being is good, right? So the, Gnostic would, the Gnostics would teach, in this false teaching that Paul's having to address here, is, is the idea that your physical, sense, your physical being is disposable. You don't really need it. You can kind of just do whatever you want. And your non-physical part is just kind of, it's, it's the true you, right? You just have to release your non-physical entity. So they, they, the, the, the Gnostics would believe that you have to, to, to perfect your life, you had to release your non-physical being. Now I know this, this is like, whoa, what is going on? Just bear with me. You had to release your non-physical being. Gnostics taught that there was a piece of divinity, a piece of God that was kind of dispersed through all humanity, and that all humanity had this little sliver of divinity, sliver of God within them, and so to perfect your Christianity, to perfect your, your uh, life, you had to strip off your physicality, you had to strip off your upbringing, you had to strip all that off and just release the inner you, the release the inner divinity. And so what, what this does is it requires you then to lean into self-actualization. It, it's all about meditation, it's about focusing on releasing yourself and releasing the inner God within you. If this is true then, then they would teach that, yeah, you can just dispose of your body, it doesn't really matter, it doesn't really have any bearing on your inner uh, non-physical self. And therefore, because of this, they believed that really the God of the Old Testament was kind of this evil entity, and that Jesus was, was begotten of this evil entity, and Jesus was meant to release the non-physical world from the physical world. It sounds crazy, I know. But this was sweeping through their time at the region. The, the Christians were buying into this idea that their bodies didn't matter, it was just the soul that mattered, and you could just kind of do whatever you want with your physical entity. And so enter Paul into this situation, who's in prison at the time, suffering physically for his, for his Savior. And he says, right in the beginning of Colossians 1 and 2, if you've read it, he, he declares who Christ is. He starts by addressing some false teaching, kind of implicitly by just talking about Christ. Who is Christ? He is, he is the beginner of creation, the fullness of salvation. He clarifies that he's the beginning of the end, the spark of life itself, that all that is good is rooted in the Father, Son, and Spirit. That God, the triune God, had the Father, Son, and Spirit. They are not the originator of evil. They are the conqueror over it. And then Paul also clarifies that there is freedom in Christ and that the Christian life is truly living a free life in Christ rather than bondage to releasing an inner God within you. This brings us to chapter 3 where we're looking, that, okay, if Christ is truly the, the fullness of creation, if Christ is the life of, or is life of everything, that he fills creation, that he is the, the Godhead, all in one, three, pers or three persons, one uh, essence, if this is true, then what does it mean for us who are identified in Christ? What does it mean for us? Identity in Christ means a new holistic reality for us as believers. A new holistic, meaning every aspect. Colossians 3.1 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Okay, we just talked about this false teaching, right? Notice how quickly physical Paul's getting. Since you have been raised to new life, that's physical. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, that's physical. Where Christ sits, that's physical in the place of honor at God's right hand. That's physical. 
What is Paul getting at? This is real and true. This is not some sort of non-physical experience that, that happened with Jesus Christ, that when you are brought into salvation, you are really and truly saved in the fullness of your salvation. That yes, we live in fallen bodies, but our God redeems us immediately in our souls and then at the point of the new world, the new creation, the end times, God is going to redeem our physical entities. This is huge because Paul is trying to get head on and, 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 and embed into these, these believers' minds that the, the, the truths of 2 Corinthians 5.21 are real and true, that for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He's getting in, in the heads of the, the, church, the church of Colossae that, man, this is real and true, that if, if Christ physically died— that makes it possible for you to truly be raised to new life and then really and truly live a life embedded in the Father, Son, and Spirit, embedded in that relationship. That the very reason you can even be called sinless is because Christ physically and truly raised. That you are truly and really raised to life with the same power that rose Christ from the dead because through the Holy Spirit you are joined to Christ even in resurrection. I don't know if you're seeing this, but Paul is being pretty direct with this false teaching. Now, he doesn't say there's a false teaching sweeping through. He just says, hey, let's talk about Christ here. Because when you look at Christ as we have through the scriptures of the last year or so, there's no room for false teaching. The best way to combat a misunderstanding of scripture is to simply look at Christ. Therefore, when you are raised to new life, you begin to live a new reality. You're holistically a different person. You wake up for a different reason. You go to work for a different reason. You raise your kids for a different reason. In the same way that the demeanor of a Jewish priest would completely change when he entered the temple. So, perhaps our demeanor should change when God, through the Holy Spirit, makes us the temple. The whole demeanor changes. The whole purpose changes. Now, don't confuse that but don't confuse this, this presence of the Holy Spirit for Gnosticism, and we do too often. God is not making you a little God. He's not making you a slightly bit smaller bit of divinity. He is bringing you into the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit so you can join intimately into that perfect relationship. You're being brought into an identity. You're not being given an identity. That God declares you in Christ, not a Christ. Your soul is renewed. You are bound to Christ. Now, we always have to leave this little asterisk. We live in fallen bodies. So when you leave in about 45 minutes or you go to lunch at your house, you're going to feel temptation again. You're gonna, the moment we, the sermon's over, you're going to feel something again. Why? Because we live in fallen bodies. Fallen bodies that are perpetually being redeemed in God and will be perfected at the point where we reach eternity. Now, this is why he says we have to actively work to set our sights on heaven. Set our sights on the realities of heaven. He doesn't say set your sights on the realities of evangelism. He doesn't say set your sights on the realities of church. He says set your sights on the realities of heaven. Biblicists and theologians and people way smarter than myself have ran statistics. And you know what Jesus talked about more than any other topic when he was on earth? The kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he lived it. 
Jesus spent more time focused on the kingdom of heaven than any other topic because he lived a perfect human life. He understood that is where our focus should be. This is the way a disciple of God lives. We focus on the end prize, the goal. So the question then is asked. So, all right, so we got really theological there, really biblical. The question is then asked, though, how do we begin to live a life with our sights set on heaven? How do we do that? Paul gets really practical in verse 2. So we just talked about identity in Christ means a new holistic reality for us as a believer. And now identity in Christ means transforming our minds and our desires. Verse 2 says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Based on the previous verse, focusing on that physical element of new life in Christ, now Paul is addressing the core of this false teaching, the mind. The core of this teaching. Remember, see, the, the false teaching taught that your immaterial, your non-physical self, like your mind, it, it's what releases the divinity in, within you. But Paul's like, hey, stop trying to perfect yourself by thinking your way into heaven. Just think about heaven instead. This is so practical. Just as Hebrews 12 says, we've got to focus on the finish line, focus on the prize, and not get distracted by the things to the side of us. We have to focus on heaven. I guarantee you, it will be really, really hard to drink excessively, have an affair, engage in gluttony, or whatever material sin if you're thinking about heaven at the same time. Now, that's a little facetious, but it's really true. It puts things in perspective. It puts things in perspective. The next time you find yourself at the doorstep of temptation, just start thinking about heaven. I guarantee you, you'll probably stop. Because you realize, oh, I, I don't want to do that. Heaven's so much better. What Paul is getting at is that we are not committed to our own safety and well-being in this world because our safety and well-being has been declared in that world. But yet we try to make our safety and well-being on this world. We try to even declare our safety and well-being on this world as if we're God. But God has already declared it in the next world. I will never forget the day that Samuel Isaiah Wilkie was born. For a number of reasons, actually. <laughs> We were about three weeks from the due date, and uh, we had just gone to the doctor the day before, and the doc, he, he was about, projected at about seven pounds, and we still had three weeks to go, which means he was going to be about a 10-pound baby. And Hannah, I don't know if you've met my wife, but she's small, so that wasn't going to happen. That wasn't going to happen. So we were getting a little nervous about delivery, and uh, so that, that night we came home from the doctor, and, and Hannah was, got into these kind of witch doctor home-inducing things, and she tried to induce herself, by eating spicy food and rocking back and forth. And I was like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Well, I was sharply wrong when I got slapped at one in the morning. No lie, I was in REM sleep. And I wake up with like a Rocky Balboa slug across my face. And I hear, it's time. <laughs> I was like, time for what? It's one in the morning. <laughs> and it says, time for Sam to come. I was like, no, 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 no. That's three weeks away, the doctor said. <laughs> and so I, she, she's serious, so I'm like freaking out. So I'm like, okay. So I, st I start getting ready, and my body's shaking, and I can't control myself, and, and I'm, I'm freaking out. And the, my wife, the mother of my first child, who's actually, water had broken, and she's now in labor. She's actually having to calm me down because I'm freaking out. And, <laughs> and I'm like, honey, I don't think I can do this. And she's like, no, you can do this. You can do this. I'm like, honey, I really don't think I can do this. And she's having to calm me down while in labor, and I'm freaking out. So, so we, we drive to the hospital in what was probably one of the more quieter drives I've ever had. 
And uh, we get to the door, and there's a little speaker on the door for after hours, and I press the little button, and they're like, hi, how can I help you? <laughs> how can I help? I'm in labor and delivery wing at one in the morning. And I'm like, yeah, I'll have a Big Mac, please. No. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm here to drop, I mean, uh, deliver a baby. And uh, so they let us in, and we get into our room, and they had to induce Hannah, and she went through a little over 15 hours of, of pretty intense labor. And actually, one of the most horrifying parts of this whole process was not delivery. It was the harpoon of a needle they used to play darts with to give her an epidural. Have you seen these things? I almost passed out. It was disgusting. Well, she went through it, and, and it's, it's truly supernatural how, how amazing God gives women strength to go through this process. And it was a privilege to be able to encourage her and go through her with her that. But um, and the God-given strength she, she, she gives to, to go through this and to do so without eating because she didn't eat until the day before. So she went like 36 hours without eating. And I almost went an hour without eating at one point. It was really bad. And it was horrible. But <laughs> she got through it and, and went through some really aggressive transitional phases. She got closer to delivery. And, and eventually she delivered and she just rocked it. And Sam was here. But I learned something so important through this process. Hannah did not focus on the pain. She focused on Sam. She focused on our son. And the only reason she was able to get through 15 hours of labor and, and a lot of painful shots and a lot of a lot just being babied and coddled, which she doesn't like to do, she wants to just take care of it herself, she doesn't like that. The only reason she was able to go through this truly agonizing process is because she was focusing on her son, not the pain in the middle. Why? Because the end goal was Sam. We don't go through labor and delivery for the sake of labor and delivery. We go through labor and delivery because a sweet little boy's coming into this world. But in the same way, we go through life thinking labor and delivery is the whole thing. We go through life thinking, oh, I really don't want that epidural. When in reality, this is just a part of the process till we get to the great new birth in Jesus Christ that is heaven. Right? We focus on labor and delivery too much in life when in reality, delivery of our, of our new life in heaven is the purpose. God created women so amazing that, that I truly think that this is just a metaphor for our lives that if, as a woman focuses on that new child and what is so supernatural, so weird to focus on the end goal that is the kingdom of heaven, to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Because the labor and delivery of life does not matter compared to what is coming. It doesn't matter. And this is Paul's point. We should be so eager for what comes next. We were so excited for Sam. Hannah was so excited for Sam. She was so excited. She just wanted to get through it. She was so pumped. Life gets so much easier when we're focused on the realities of heaven, the reality of heaven. When our own thoughts and our own desires begin to diminish because we're focused on heaven, our identity is found in Christ. So our identity means a new holistic reality for us, and our identity means transforming our minds and our desires by focusing on the things of heaven. And identity in Christ means that you cease and Christ begins. Identity in Christ means you cease and Christ begins. Verse 3 and 4 says, For you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, 
and you will share in all his glory. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden in Christ God. See, growing up in the Bible Belt, there are certain phrases we say so much, it's like kicking a dead horse, that we don't really stop and think about them. We don't stop and think. But if, imagine you didn't know anything about God. You didn't know anything about Christ. You didn't know anything about Scripture. You just came into a relationship with Christ, and I told you you died to this life. What would that mean to you? How would that change things? How would you approach life differently if you truly, for the first time, realized you were dead to this life? How would you approach the relationships you had before you were saved if you knew you were actually dead to this life? Paul is a great example of this. He was a terrorist to Christians, gets saved, and now he's teaching Christians. Within days. Everybody was nervous around him, the people didn't trust him, but immediately he went through a switch. He lived his life differently because he immediately believed that his life was tangibly different. Now I have heard people say, well, well, Paul saw Christ. Do we not? Do we not? Sure, we don't have a glowing orb coming down from heaven, but do we not see him actively working every day? My family and I were talking just a few days ago about common grace. This is the theology, the idea that, that God fills creation in, with his grace and that even people who are not a part of his body, a part of his children, part of his elect, can feel the benefits of grace. Did you know if God is truly the giver of life, when a non-believer heals from a disease, that's an example of common grace. That's an example of common grace. That, that creation, the mere reason that the sun rises is an example of common grace. That God is filling creation with his grace, that things are a, a different because of his grace. See, at, the, at the, the point of salvation in our lives, and we are then given a, a, a limited grace, specific grace, God ignites something in us through his sovereignty that is then enacted by our own will to run to him and then is finalized by the Spirit's presence in our life. And then you are then dead to your former self and you live your life now in Christ. The old has passed and the new has begun. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live. I don't exist. I am Zach in Christ. Of course, this does beg a question, how do, how do we live like Zach in life or, or Mark in, in Christ, Zach in Christ? How do we live like that? By, by hiding in Christ is what Scripture says here. Hiding in Christ. It says in, that, in verse 3 and 4, in your real life, is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that. Notice how he says your real life, as if your former life was a shadow, a broken copy, a rough image, but your real life is hidden in God. This is a deeply and wonderful image. I imagine like a child who's shy, hiding behind the leg of their father. You see the father first, then you see the child. So we are hiding in Christ. People see Christ first, then they see you. Paul finishes, And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share it in all glory. He continues his, his pattern of speech at the end here, combating this idea that we really are just our own entities. He combats this idea that, that, that we are our own individuals, we're individualistic. No, the, the idea here is that Christ is our life, 
He is our existence, and he is, as chapter 1 says, the beginning of creation as a whole. He shares his life with us so that we can share in his eternity. This ideology is so contrary to everything taught at the time. Paul goes right to the heart of the false teaching of Gnosticism. The idea that Christ is truly a physical Savior who tangibly saves and eternally binds himself to all believers. If this is the heart of salvation, as, as, as Scripture says here, which it is, there's really no room for the idea that we make our own destinies or it's our job to release any part, part of us. Rather, we're actually called to find life successes outside of ourselves in Christ. Now, here's why I want to look at this, and we're going to spend a couple minutes here. We're in an amazingly unique time in our immediate history. The desires of the world are tangibly and visibly everywhere. The difference between unfollower of Christ and a follower of Christ are more separated than you've ever seen before, perhaps, in America, which is maybe a good thing. See, for a long time, you you couldn't really tell the difference, right? Well, now it's getting separated more and more and more, and there's this division between the follower of Christ and the, and the unbeliever, the unfollower of Christ. Th- th- this means when this happens, the world wants your heart. The world wants your identity. The world wants you to hide within its sticky binds. See, the world wants you to believe that your ideology that your political party, that your concept of acceptance, that your understanding of the world, and that the way you think as a whole, that's who you are. That's what they want you to think. That's what the world wants to think. The world wants to generalize humanity, especially Christians, into like the isolated groups whereby we succeed in life by just being a part of the world thought process, right? Okay, I'm going to say that again. The world wants us to, to be isolated into groups, of thought processes, so then we can just be classified. Now, this is not a political thing. This is, this is what Paul's getting at. The world wants you to put your political party over your faith. The world wants you to put your religious affiliation above your faith. The world wants you to put spirituality over your faith. The world wants you to convince you that you are the problem. Because the world will teach you that your mind and your beliefs define you that they declare who you are. See, if the world can put definition to you, then they can really understand you. This is not, please don't think this is some sort of like government ideology or, or, an underst- or a, a democratic republic ideology. This is not a political stump. What Paul is battling is the same idea that we're battling, that you think who you are. This world is teaching that you think who you are. Your existence is made up by what you think, what you believe, what you do. And you've seen it. You see it in cancel culture. If you don't think this thing, you're not a part of this thing. You think who you are. Gnosticism says, you think who you are. This false teaching Paul's combating says, you think who you are. Post-modernity, which is what we're dealing with now today, is who you think who you are. But the reality is God says who you are. God declares who you are. One of the most intimate things in Scripture is God naming someone. He names Sarai, Sarah, Abram, Abraham, uh, Saul, Paul, he names you. Why? Because there's nothing more intimate than being named. I named my son Samuel because it has big meaning to our family. I named him. That's so intimate. When God names you, there's nothing more intimate than that. The world wants to name you, but the reality is God names you. He names you by your name. He knows every hair on your head. He names you in Christ. 
but we have the audacity to say no. We have the audacity to think we are Republican before we are Christian. We have the audacity to think we are social warriors before we are believers. We have the audacity to think that the president has more authority than our God. Whoever the president is, God is the king of all. He says, you are in Christ. You don't exist. You're gone. Do you hear that? You're gone. You are in Christ. Every part of your being is in Christ. Every part of your, your body is now being grown in Christ. Your soul is renewed. Your body struggles, but your soul is embedded in the Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit so that you be, can be grown in Christ, so that you can live life in Christ, so you can act in the politics as you would in Christ, so you can work as you would in Christ, so you can parent as you would in Christ. Why? Because God wants you to live a life in Christ. You're going to live eternity in Christ, so you're supposed to be living this world in Christ. Every time, every time we begin to put our own identity first, we have to rewrite the gospel. Because the gospel says Christ saved you, he died for you, he rose again for you, and now he declares you clean. But the moment that you put that second, you have to rewrite it. You have to rewrite it. Because God is no longer first. Now, I, I know you're, you're thinking, Zach, whew, okay, now what does that mean? Like, how do we, obviously, I understand I'm in Christ, but how do I live in a society that, that's just going down, down the toilet, it seems? How do I do that? Isaiah 9 says this. It's, it's the prophecy we have of Jesus Christ being born in, in, from Mary. And it says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And then in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is writing to the, the Jews in exile. They're cast out from their land, and he writes this. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, uh, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes. Plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. You realize he wrote this to, to Jews who were in Babylon. That's, they hated these people. But God's saying, hey, have kids, invest in your city, love your neighbor. Have children. Find them spouses. There is an ebb and flow in life that is strife. There is pain. There is discomfort. But the only way to persist faithful through this is to truly I find our identity in Christ, the Messiah, and to keep living. Uh, uh, Chad just, just read to us out of Lamentations, and I, I threw this in at the last minute, so it's not on the screen. Don't worry about that. Um, so it's Lamentations 3, 22 through 27 I want to look at really quick. It says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. 
The Lord is good to those who depend on him, for those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit to, at an early age to the yoke of his disciple. There is joy and love and peace when our hope is in Christ. There is pain, fear, and discomfort when our hope is in the world. And I know we hear this a billion times, but I just want you to ask yourself really quick, do you wake up anxious? Do you, and I know I do. Do you wake up nervous for the world? Because if you do, you may want to ask where your hope is. And I, and I say this preaching to myself. I say this preaching to myself. You can ask my wife. I wake up thinking, what in the world? I've lost track of which is real news and which is the onion. It's all the same to me. Maybe some, like two of you got that. That's okay. The reality is that, that, that it's so easy to put our hope in our world, our immediate safe, safety. And man, with a child, it's so much harder to truly trust God. But what God is saying, even to the exiled Jews, is to live. To live. I pray that as we as a church can become passionate for truth, not confirmation bias. Truth. Truth comes from the Lord. Confirmation bias comes from the media. Truth comes from the Lord. Because our identity is permanently in the very fiber of the Godhead. When we hide our lives in Christ, our identities are found in him. What does this mean for work? I work in the private sector. What does it mean for work? It means working each day as if you're working for the Lord. And people are really grouchy right now. I know, I work in tech support. People are really grouchy right now. It means working for the Lord. It means showing love to your neighbor. When people think, how are you not freaking out right now? You just say, it's not my world. What does this mean for parents? It means to parent as God parents you. What does this mean politically? It means doing your part contributing to the, to, the, to the country we live in. Whatever that means for you. Samuel. <laughs> Sorry, my, my, my son was crying. It means fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. Scripture says that. It's true. But it also means at the end of the day, realizing that your identity is in Christ. At the beginning of this sermon, we talked about how we see these famous individuals with skill sets, and we really just see their skill set and maybe a, the face behind it, but we don't, don't see persons. We don't know these people. What, what happens whenever one of these people, like Elon Musk, what, if, what happens if Elon Musk gets religious? Or what happens if LeBron James gets political? Actually, we've seen this. What happens when uh, LeBron James gets political on Twitter or a Colin Kaepernick gets political at football games? What happens? Society gets angry. Society gets mad. They get confused and shocked. Why? Because you're not living the identity you're supposed to be living. What are you doing? Play football. Play basketball. That's what, that's what people say. Now, if this is just identity and skill set, what does it look like when we leave our identity in Christ? What does it look like when people look at us and think, wow, that... Aren't they Christian? Why are they so worried about this country? I thought they were supposed to be hopeful. Do people get angry? Do they get offended? Does their view of Christ change? 
We are ambassadors of God. What happens when we lose our minds? What happens when we lose our hope because we're so concerned with this world? It affects others. There is no room. This is what I want, I want you to, if you can get one thing from this, this is it. There's no room for other identities. You have to just pick one. And may, for me, some of you, maybe it's not God. Because if you're not committed, then don't half commit. One of my favorite stories, and this is, I, I love this, is, is Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. When he was, he was about to be killed, and he spent a night in prison wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. And he, he goes before the council the next day, and they just want him to renounce his faith. And with every fiber of his being, he just says, I, I can't do any other. Like, he physically cannot. He wanted to renounce his faith, but he physically could not because he knew his identity was in Christ. He couldn't. He says, here I stand, I can do no other. There, there's nothing else that could be done. He didn't want to do it. It was a take this cup from me situation. He didn't want to do it, but there was nothing else he can do, but God, by his grace, spared his life. I love that story because it's such a good reminder that there, you can't do any other than, if your identity is in Christ, that is who you are. You can't leave it. Every fiber of your being is in Christ. You have been raised to new life. You are being redeemed in him, and you have to live your life in him. Why? Because your hope is not in this world. It's in the eternity to come. It's in the eternity to come. Billy Graham was really good at that. He was really good at that. Focusing on the next life, focusing on what's to come, focusing on, on this, this hope is not in this world. That being said, you still have to live. Even quarantined, you still have to live. When we hide our lives in Christ, truly hide, like a child behind their father's leg, our identities are found in him. And I pray this week, as you, as you think, maybe think back to this Sunday, and even those who are watching online, if, if you think back to this sermon, I just, I really hope you, you can look at, at your heart right now and just say, am I truly trusting that God is my hope? Am I truly trusting that God has my life? Not America. Not whatever the idea is at that moment. It changes by the hour. But God never changes. If you are here or you are at home and you are just riddled with anxiety and you're scared and you're nervous and you're scared that your liberties are being infringed on, I beg of you to ask yourself, where does your liberty come from? Because liberty is declared by God and then manifested in humanity. When we hide our lives in Christ, our identity is found in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for, for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. God, as we step away from this sermon, I pray we can just, just, just remember the, these truths that you've, you've taught me, that we truly are found in you. That, that our hope is not here, our hope was never here, but it is truly in you. If you, can keep your, if you can keep your people enduring and faithful, even in exile, in the, as it's, we see in the Old Testament, so too you can keep us pressing into you, 
So God, I pray that you embed our hearts, you embed our minds to, 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 with, with your thoughts, with your heart, so that we are focusing on the realities of heaven, not releasing the, the inner comfort within us. God, help us break down these barriers that, that truly is individualism, that post-modernity, that this, all this junk that tells us we are the most important thing and let us understand that we are not, that you are. God, thank you for your faithfulness again. Thank you for your salvation. I pray you, you, you grow us in you. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Hope you have a wonderful week. To you at home, please have a wonderful week. And uh, God bless. Thank you. Dark tried to hide you and steal you away.